Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Coded Switch. I am your co-host, Dr. G, in the United States, joined by Told to the Psychologist in Melbourne, Australia. So on today's episode, we're going to get into a continued conversation of imposter syndrome, but this time talking more about the proactive side of things of what to do. What do you do in situations when your imposter syndrome or those thoughts of being an imposter start to get really strong in your mind and how do you counteract them? So stay with us. We'll dive into all of these topics and more on The Coded Switch. Welcome to The Coded Switch Podcast, a deep discussion about the experience of intersectionality and vulnerability as it relates to wellness. Hosted by Dr. Galanega Machisa and told to the psychologist. All right, welcome to everybody who's just joined in. If you've been following us on the recent episodes, we have been looking at the idea of uh, code switching through the lens of the imposter syndrome. So, you know, imposter syndrome, you know, that feeling of inadequacy, that feeling of self-doubt that people have. Um, And this is regardless of your ambition, regardless of what you've done in your life and your achievements. It's that feeling that you're just not good enough. And often that translates into, um, you know, behaviors that are not always serving your needs. So what does that look like in your life when you're experiencing imposter syndrome? Like, I'm sure you can list heaps of them, um, Dr. G. There's, what is it? I mean, the one thing that jumps out in my mind because I experienced, it's just the, uh, the, the ruminating, right? Like the... The going over things like several times before they actually like thoughts before they actually become words and exit your mouth or, you know, thinking of all the different ways that something might be interpreted or just just spending a lot of time in your own in your own head um, about mm. how you're being perceived, how you want to come off, how you a lot of um, editorializing going on in your mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's what it feels like, at least, in, you know, in my experience, I'm sure there's a lot more to it that other people can speak to. Um but yeah, so I mean, I think I, what I what I would like to know, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one, and you can you can help us all out here is, what yeah. do you do like in those in in that in a scenario where let's say I'm interfacing with let's bring it just for you know to make it a little fun let's let's talk about when there is a power dynamic between someone you're engaging with, and and uh, in yourself and you're starting to do this you know in really going, becoming insular and internalized and having this conversation almost simultaneously as you're having an outward conversation. What do you do in those moments to maintain clarity and maintain, you know, poignancy so that you can express yourself and, um, and be heard the, the way you intend on being heard? What do you do? The moment that you're experiencing imposter syndrome, you can go about it in a practical way. Like I can tell you right now, these are the things that you can do. If you're experiencing imposter syndrome, here's what you can do, A, B, C, D, in a practical way that others can see. There is also the side to imposter syndrome where the work needs to be internal. Here are the things you need to say to yourself and do within yourself. And I think the quickest one for when you're experiencing that imposter syndrome in terms of how to project outwards is to really remind yourself why you were invited to be in that position in the first place. Remember that there's a reason why you were called there. There's a reason why you made it through the interview and someone else didn't. There's a reason why um, your partner chose you to be their lifelong partner as opposed to someone else. And you need to go back and think about what those specific things are. 
I am here because I applied for this job. I'm here because I worked for it. I'm here because I have experience. I'm here because compared to the other people, I know more about project management. So think about why are you there and then do what you were invited to do. That's the quickest way to sort of in the moment be like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. What am I invited to do here? Do it. That's literally what you're meant to be doing. And if you're, you know, worried about whether you're the right person or not, it's about thinking about why you were invited over somebody else. Um, What if that isn't apparently clear? What if that isn't that, you know, I mean, of course you can, because I I think depending on the degree of imposter syndrome that somebody may have, you know, be experiencing or how long they have, it's been living with them as (laughs) almost like an entity, Um, you know, you, you can, you can. It can go a lot deeper than that where you can start to, because second guessing is a big part of it, right? Second guessing Mm -hmm. oneself, you can start to second guess those reasons that you're giving yourself. So, I mean, I'm I'm just trying to, you know, say like, okay, I I totally hear what you're saying. That's, that's, it is brilliant. And I think it does help in the moment, especially when you are, uh, or just before engaging in maybe an, uh, with with in uncomfortable a, discussion. Exactly, an uncomfortable discussion or in a, in a dynamic that you know yeah. there is a power differential um it helps mm-hmm. to do this uh certainly mm-hmm. but more so like well what happens when that when the troubleshooting turns into more trouble um right and you start yeah. to second yeah. get like the what is there anything that can get at the second guessing i think this is where we need to do the internal yeah. work because the second guessing is usually your own mm-hmm. self. And so often what will happen is that we start to fall into these thought traps. There's so many, and you know, the fancy word for it is cognitive distortions. When you're experiencing imposter syndrome, you're more often than not um, falling into the traps that your mind is tricking you into. So some people it's about blaming, like people jump straight into blaming yourself or others for things that go wrong. Oh, well, um, it's not because of me. It's because of you. You know, there are others who, and I could list these on. There's personalization, should statements, labeling, catastrophizing, mind reading, mm-hmm. um, discounting the positive, focusing on the negative, false consensus, denial. These are all the traps that we fall into. And I think sometimes knowing that you're doing this is really important. Um, so people don't even recognize they're doing that. So it's about slowing down the process. Yeah. When you're experiencing imposter syndrome, you're going from zero to 100 very mm-hmm. quickly and creating uncertainty for yeah. yourself. We need to slow that process down and be like, what are you doing that's contributing to this situation? Because what you perceive mm-hmm. or the way you see a situation is going to be what you believe. And what you believe is going to be what you achieve. What yeah, you do is going to be dependent on how you see the mind, on how you see it. And so, and people say, well, well, that's really easy to say. Well, how do you get out of that? Or like, is that, how true can that mm-hmm. be? It's the reason why you look at a piece of food and be like, oh my God, I can't keep my hands off it. And the same piece of food, if your mindset changes, doesn't even want to have anything to do mm-hmm. with it. Yes, your environment may be toxic. Yes, the person might be doing, oops, the the person may be doing these, um, engaging in a dynamic of behaviors that's incredibly like soul destroying, but how you respond to it, to it is what matters. And you start with yourself. Are you going to accept so, this? Abs- yes, I think you ahead. went, I mean, there are really, really good points in there. I, want, I, I, I wish we had the time to dissect each and every one. But one thing that you just said, um, I think is critical here. And that is the slowing down. Like we have to, you have to, one has to yeah. slow down in that process. 
do you have any um, sort of guidance on on how how does one slow down in the moment? Are there any practices or exercises that somebody can do to help slow that snowball (laughs) tends to start barreling down the hill? So a good way to slow down Mm -hmm. is uh, before you begin to slow down, I think the awareness and the education is really important, recognizing this is what's happening too. So if you've tuned into this and you're like, oh, is that what I'm doing? Okay, how do I slow this down? I think starting physically is really important. So recognizing that when you're starting to feel anxious, it shows up in your body. Um, so you might be starting to tap. You might starting to breathe shallow. You feel your, you know, skin flushing. It's not menopause. It's not someone you like. It's actually someone's genuinely frustrating you. Um, so you might have, or you know, for others, you might find yourself starting to get numb. Mm-hmm. So people get numb. They start to freeze. They're like, ah, it's just time to go through the motions. Let's wipe this off. This is what people start mm-hmm. to do. So to slow down that process, one of the things that I think is really important is actually pausing. Yeah. People feel like they need to respond in the moment all the time. Never, and, and imposter syndrome usually relates quite closely to conflict. Mm. So when you're in a conflict situation, you'd use the similar strategies as you would for imposter syndrome as you would managing Can conflict. you explain that? The That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, so when we're talking about managing conflict, uh, we need to slow down the process in terms of your responses. So literally from deep breathing, pausing, Mm -hmm. feeling like you don't have to respond immediately, silence Mm -hmm. is really important. Mm -hmm. So if someone says something to you, there is nothing wrong with just sitting silently, even if they're asking for a response. Mm -hmm. It can even be as simple as, I'll need to think about Mm -hmm. that. I'll get back to you. Thank you for letting me know. Because people have this... Um, this belief almost that when you're in a dynamic, a conflict dynamic, that you need to respond like it's a match, like a tennis or back. You don't need to do that. Someone can say something to you. You can just let it land and just leave mm-hmm. it there. And by doing that, you bring power back to you. Yeah. You bring. I'm so back. glad you said now, that word because that's what was I, power. That's exactly what we're circling yeah. around here. So I didn't mean to cut to cut you off, but. No, this is, I mean, I think that's, that's brilliant. I I think um, we often don't do that in any, in just like regular conversation, even let alone conflict is just take the time to be present in what we're saying um, and and Mm. feeling like we sort of need to continue on with the next statement. And, you know, often it can lead us somewhere that we don't intend to be. Um, and, and the same, I think would be very true in those instances where you feel like you, you, there's almost a compulsion to speak and to respond. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of yeah. course, you, I mean, we're also kind of skirting around this here a little bit. I think we brought it up last time, just a tad was about how imposter syndrome is also very closely tied to power dynamics, right? It's 100%. there, you know, I mean, even, I mean, every conflict really, um, I saw outside of, of, and this may this may not be true across the board, but outside of peer relationships, like actual friend friendship type of relations yeah. relationships, pretty and maybe well, no, not parent child because obviously there's a power dynamic there too. Um, every other type of relationship ha- does have a power dynamic, um, and one hundred percent. And when you're in an imposter syndrome, again, there's that conflict, right? And people like to think of imposter syndrome as. Um, the problem is with me and the problem is actually that you're not reclaiming your power. And so people think, but I'm not powerful, but what is my power? Well, you have the power to respond. 
You have the power to stay silent. You have the power just to take the situation in. And this is what I'm talking about, reframing the situation. Often when someone is in a position of power, they're expecting a response. You don't have to give mm. up. Um, you can ask for a timeout. You can say, well, I'm going to have to get back to you on that. You know, it could be in the moment where someone's trying to put you on mm -hmm. the spot. You may choose not, you may choose in that moment not to respond yeah. at all. And then go to them at the end of the day and say, hey, I'm wondering if I can talk to you about a situation that happened earlier. Would you be okay for me to bring it up? People are curious. Even those in power <laughs> are always curious. So, and you'll say, I, I want to. I wanted to reflect that in that moment, I wanted the opportunity to say these things, but I didn't get that mm. chance. That's if you want to do that. You don't have to do There's so many different ways of doing yeah. it. But I think the most important thing is slowing down the process, recognizing that you do have power. It's a question of what are you doing that's being an obstacle? Are you personalizing mm -hmm. this? Are you labeling yourself? as a mm -hmm. loser are you mind reading and being like oh they said this so this and this and therefore this like what is it that you're actually you need to recognize those feelings within yourself yeah. and i think that is step number one recognize when you're experiencing imposter yeah. syndrome um you need to reframe your thoughts through your mindset and think well hang on is there another way that i can look at this situation and you know you can only do that when you slow down the process and people are like oh i just want a pill that says getting rid of imposter syndrome swallow it and off yeah. i go but it doesn't work that way it, it's about really and often talking to someone about it is really yeah. important because they can provide like a bit of fact checking for you oh, yeah. Like, yeah actually yeah. you're right or now look maybe you are taking it a bit personally and so sometimes you know, you may do that with friends. You may do that with someone professional, depending on what the stakes are. So a lot of times when I'm coaching usually executives mm -hmm. who've started in their executive position and trying to strategically pitch themselves as leaders, especially among situations where people are challenging your leadership, it's about coming up with those scripts that reflect your yeah. mindset. So it might even be, so you might need to do the education. You might need to do the research. Yeah. You know, the power of negotiating. Negotiating is about managing That's the power right. dynamic. Yeah. Conflict is when power falls out. You know, imposter syndrome is when you feel like you've lost your power. So this is about reclaiming your power and finding a place where you can do that authentically. Absolutely. So you don't want to be power tripping That's over right. That's right. You yeah. really don't. Yeah. Absolutely. So I want to take this back one more step. So we talked about sort of the, what you do mm -hmm. in the moment when things start to maybe get out of out of hand, out of control in, in your thought and in your mind yeah. while you're in the situation. But let's take it. Let's go one step more upstream and just I, I'd like to know sort of if you have any thoughts on how do you even bring awareness? For example, if someone is is essentially like if an observer observer could could watch a person's life they'd be like mm, this looks a lot like you have imposter syndrome but the but the individual is not aware of the things that they're doing mm. that are that are sort of exhibiting that the, that trait uh, or those traits how does one start to dial in become more aware of the things that they're doing that that sort of that are aligned with an imposter syndrome i don't know if that makes sense but yeah. yeah, it does. I think a lot of people recognize when they're experiencing it. They might, It's like code switching. You may not have the words for it, but you recognize you're doing it. People that, that you know, imposter syndrome is really that self-doubt yeah. when it takes over your life and takes away opportunities from you that you think that you deserve. Yeah. Or so, maybe not, you know, the difference. Maybe not. In, in a, mm. Okay. So let me, let me frame it another way. So the, the behaviors that you were describing that are often found, um, 
you know, or mm. connected with imposter syndrome. Like, um, you know, one of the ones that stuck out to me is catastrophizing, right? For example, like how, how yeah. does, how does a person become aware that what they're doing in their thought is that it is a cognitive distortion. It actually is like, there's something that is not aligned with the reality, uh, you know, as, as uh, the objective reality, let's say, of course, because subjective reality is real for the person. Um, yeah. how do you, how does one become more aware of those, of those traits? I mean, is that only through the help of a professional or is there something that, no. yeah. No. So th there are definitely the, the way you know it is from behaviors. What does imposter syndrome look like behaviorally, particularly I'm going to talk to the workplace. Cause I think that's often where people talk about imposter Absolutely. syndrome. So yeah. So in the workplace. It can be difficult to decipher in one moment, but you can see the patterns over time because sometimes, like for, let me give you one example yeah. of how uh, imposter syndrome can be misinterpreted. When you see somebody smiling, smiling can be a sign of happiness, reflecting the emotion of happiness. It can also be reflecting the emotion of anxiety, right? So smiling in and of itself is not necessarily a good or a bad thing, but if we can see where it's coming from, that's what might determine whether the smiling is helpful mm -hmm. or not the same thing with the behaviors around imposter syndrome so usually someone who's experiencing imposter syndrome will start comparing themselves to others so they'll say especially those who they believe are more talented or more better they'll compare a lot there will be a lot of self-doubt within themselves oh no they'll, they'll they'll say they don't deserve their achievements or like you know they're not worthy someone else should have gotten the award another big one is perfectionism People who are constantly feel like they need to be perfect in order to be successful. They are overly concerned about making mistakes and then they start to overanalyze and overthink things. Overworking is another one. So they feel like I need to work harder than everyone else. I need to be the first one in and the last one out to prove, you know, to prove mm -hmm. themselves that they're worthy. And in fact, what they end up doing for the most part is just burning yeah. out. The other big one is being fear, like that. there's this fear they have that they're going to be yeah. found out. Someone's going to realize that they're not actually as competent as they are. And so that leads to feelings for the most part of anxiety and shame. So, you know, shame being that fear of disconnect. And I think that's what the imposter, you know, person who has those imposter syndrome feelings are, they want to feel connection. And so, you know, the idea of shame being that if somebody discovers this, they're going to be removed from the group. They're going to be an outsider. They're not going to be welcome. So that will, that fear really exacerbates that anxiety. So therefore they start working really hard and they don't want to make any mistakes and they compare themselves to others. And even when they get recognized, like, no, 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 it's just not me. These are classic signs of imposter syndrome present yeah. in someone. And what can you do when you see someone like that? It depends on where you are in that dynamic. You can be a colleague, you can be a boss, and you can just acknowledge that, that, hey, I just want to let you know I see what you're doing. I think you work. I think you are fine just as you are, and you don't need to work as hard as you are. I'm like, I see you. It's about being yeah. seen and about being heard. And I think when you're being seen and heard for what you are in your authentic state, then you're less likely to overwork. You're less likely to be you know, a perfectionist of sort. I think there's space for balance. So people say, I know I have imposter syndrome. I'm exhibiting all of these traits. What do I actually do about it? And that's where I think the strategies I spoke about earlier, slowing down that process, yeah. recognizing what, like, what cognitive distortions or what thought traps 
are the ones that are holding you back from stepping into your Mm -hmm. own in an authentic way. So I think in short, those are the ways that I'd be looking at overcoming imposter syndrome. And you can listen to this podcast and be like, that's fantastic. Um, But this is not a substitute for therapy, right? So what would happen in a therapy space is I've just told you all this generic stuff. In my mind, this is all generic. You might be like, oh, my God, she's really speaking to me. (laughs) To me, this is very generic. Where it becomes personalized would be in a therapy space, I would sit with you and say, okay, talk to me about the problems that you're having. And you tell me the problem and all of that generic stuff, I would reformulate it back to you. This is why it's happening to you on this occasion at this time. This is the pattern that you're exhibiting. This is why it's showing up for you. So for you, this is the strategy that you need. For your situation, this is the first thing you need to do, the second thing you need to do, the third thing you need to do. See how you go with that and come back and then we reflect. And I think, you know, in listening to this podcast, I think some people think, well, She's told us all the answers. What's the point of going to a therapist, right? It's like, I know I need to eat good food and exercise at least three times a week. Doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen, but a PT will look at my life and say, well, actually for you, this is what you need to focus on first. This is what you need to worry about. And, And I think it's similar in terms of, you know, imposter syndrome being one of the top uh, coaching requests that I get, particularly from uh, medical doctors who move into Mm -hmm. leadership roles Mm -hmm where they're no longer praised for their clinical acumen. I mean, they're good at it, but now there's a whole new dimension of yeah. managing people, managing dynamics, managing uh, uh, yeah. budgets and yeah. things it's like complicated. that. That often they're <laughs> like, uh, I didn't get paid for this at yeah. medical school. Like, And then, you know, when you have power over those things, people's expectations of you That's change right. too. That's so right. how do you manage Absolutely. That? I think what you were getting at in, in the explanation of why taking it one step further and, 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 you know, doing the therapy, the work behind it is important is context, right? Context is everything. You can talk generalities from, you know, Sunday to Monday, uh, or well, <laughs> Monday to Sunday, right? Yeah. That's the, that's the accurate way to say it. Um, yeah. and, but if it doesn't fit the specific context, I say this are all the time to my patients, right? As far as, if it doesn't, whatever, even if, if, you know, we're, we're getting these answers and we're coming up with a therapeutic plan, if it doesn't fit the context of, of a person's life, of one's life, it's, it's almost useless because, you know, it's an individual that has to live it out. Um, it's an individual that has to, you might know these, these generalities is like, Oh, that's what's going on. This is, and this is what you should do in that situation. But if it, if you can't figure out, if you can't navigate how to make it apply to the specific situation that or circumstance that you're experiencing, it's great knowledge, Mm. but it doesn't, it's not very helpful. It's not helpful for Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I remember wanting to go for it, cut you off. I remember dealing with one executive in particular who said, I can't tell people what to do. I'm always like going around and being like, you know, beating around the bush. And uh, we agreed it was time for that to stop, that they need to, needed to step into their own um, being of being a new manager, of being an assertive person. And how do you articulate that? So for this person, it was as simple as teaching them that when they send their emails, how to structure their sentences uh, so that they're not asking and requesting and they're not asking, they are requesting. So for example, I'll say, well, I don't know how to deal with this person because they keep holding me up and saying, well, you said this and you said that. I'm like, simple. Every sentence begins with, on this occasion. 
on this occasion, I require you to do blah, blah, blah. On this occasion, I do not require you to attend this meeting to do this. And so when the situation changes, so too does the occasion. You're allowed to change your mind. And so people have this thing that we've said this, we need to mm-hmm. stick with it. And so no, things can change yeah. over time. You know, it might mean something as simple as going back to contracts. If you're managing people, you know, often there's um, clauses in people's contracts that say, this is what you're expected to do plus other things that you are required so if your manager says to you, I do not require you to do this, well, then you're not required to do that if you're the particular manager. And so, you know, the fact that you have the power and the authority to do that, to use it in ways that work for you, not saying, I want yeah. you to do this. And I'm like, well, I don't care what you want. I'm here to do my job. And so, whereas requiring someone to do something is a bit yeah. different. So sometimes it's tweaks as small as that. Sometimes it's working on the internal self. What's this ditch that you keep falling in, mm-hmm. falling into that you can't mm-hmm. get yourself out of? Let's keep a diary and recognize how many situations did that happen? Are we catastrophizing yeah. here? Come back next week and, and, and we're going to go through that. And like It happened 10 times or mm, just happened once, but I made yeah. a big deal yeah. out of it. So again, it's sort of trying to provide value for people in something that can be quite a debilitating Absolutely. Experience. And speaking of you know context, I think what we should do next on our on our next episode is is go yeah. into okay. specifically right how you know how mm-hmm. maybe somebody who's attracted to this podcast and listening um, what they may be experiencing in the way of their intersectionality and how that maybe adds an added layer of complexity and how they're thinking about because it does let's be honest if if there are we're talking about power dynamics with everything else maybe being equal but if we're if if we're we need to go you know we need to become more nuanced about like the the complexity of the power dynamics and and what can be happening Mm. and how somebody who's let's say a person of color might be um sort of feeling and be thinking they're being perceived with with someone who's uh not of color um in that power dynamic and we should speak to those sort of occasions specifically or maybe across gender lines or um, just the, spe- the specifics of the context, really, of, you know, certain situations. Um, Can I hand it to you? That was such a smooth segue. <laughs> um, what is, what is um, code switching, if not for the power dynamics? And yeah. when, you, when, you, when you luck out of that, the imposter syndrome definitely yeah. kicks in. Oh, I can't. Me neither. And I think and I think what we'll do as well, maybe not in the next episode because there's already a lot there to dissect, but I really would like to also bring this back to, you know, health and wellness and what that what that experience of of living in those spaces can can do to a person um, physiologically and and the impacts that, you know, living that lifestyle or living that life out or that reality out can can start how that can start to manifest in in a person physically. Because let's face it, Mm -hmm. oftentimes you know, if a, 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 an individual may not be aware of, of the behavioral side of things that are contributing to what their, you know, what their reality looks like, but they start to feel, like you said, the physical symptoms, uh, uh, you know, maybe the first, like the canary in the cold mind that something is not right in their lives, right? Um, like they're having yeah. headaches, they're yeah. feeling fatigue, they're feeling, uh, right? You're yeah. having, you know, abnormal mm-hmm. bowel movements or something that is, that can easily, um, when you ask enough questions, right? When you ask enough questions and, and understand a person's life and get the context of their life, you can easily see how these things are 
well connected. Um, so we'll get into all mm-hmm. those things and of course more as we always do on the next episode of The Coded Switch. I am your co-host Dr. G in the US and signing off is... <laughs> uh, told to the psychologist from Australia. We'll see you on our next episode. Bye y'all. Bye.